Welcome to Super Tuesday and the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It is a very special Super Tuesday, and we're going to just get right into the heart of the matter here. We are going to talk later in the program about the weaponization of the FBI and the weaponization of the Internal Revenue Service. As a matter of fact, um, there was so much hoopla yesterday over the Senate passing the uh, $750 billion so-called Inflation Reduction Act and all the big promises of how they're going to pay for it. It's not going to cost us anything. If anything, it's going to save us. $300 billion or whatever it was over 10 years. But one of the key components of that bill is something that should be a concern, I believe, to all American citizens with regard to what's going to happen to the Internal Revenue Service. And so we're going to talk about that in the last part of the program. First, though, <clears throat> Super Tuesday, August the 9th, you can't not commemorate something that happened 48 years ago today. Do you remember what it is? Think back to what you were doing that second full week in August in 1974. Speaking of presidents who were maybe controversial, not terribly popular, I can think of several in my lifetime. You probably can as well. But when it comes to scandal in the White House, not even the mean tweets of President 45 or the seeming incapabilities of President 46 or the sexual dalliances of President 42 or the malaprops when it comes to speaking and defenses, President 43 or the socialism of President 44, none of those compare to President 37. That would be one Richard Milhouse Nixon. Today is August the 9th, 2022. It was exactly 48 years ago at this very moment that not only had Richard Nixon done something no other president had ever done before, resigned, but Gerald Ford had already been sworn in to become the first president who was never elected to either. He was appointed vice president after Spiro Agnew got run out of office, you'll recall, for stuff that I did, I believe, when he was governor of Maryland. And then Gerald Ford went from being, you know, ranking senator from Michigan to becoming vice president. This will calm everybody down. He's kind of Midwestern, quiet, no big deal. All of a sudden, you have Gerald Ford running the country for two years. And 1974, 75, 76, pretty inconsequential. And then America's went for uh, President 38, Jimmy Carter, in 1976, and we know how that turned out. But it was on Monday night, well, at Monday night, the night before, August 8th, maybe that was a Wednesday, um, 1974, Richard Dixon made history in the United States by going on national television and announcing that at noon Eastern on Thursday, or yeah, Thursday, August the 9th, that he would resign. The... Impeachment proceedings were underway against him because of his involvement in the Watergate affair. And let's face it, I mean, Watergate, when you work for Chuck Colson, who was the special counsel, the senior counsel, he was the guy in his ear. Let's put it this way. When you see Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis and uh, Sidney Powell and the others who were out there trying to fight for President Trump during the 2020 election, all of them kind of postured themselves and positioned themselves as special counsel to the president. Chuck Colson was Richard Nixon's attorney. He knew about Watergate. Some of the most brilliant minds in Washington, D.C. knew about Watergate. It was June 17, 1972, when five men, including a salaried security coordinator for President Nixon's reelection committee, were arrested for breaking into and illegally wiretapping the Democratic National Committee headquarters in Washington, D.C. <clears throat> they were at the Watergate Hotel. 
Now, the silly thing about this, as you recall, is that Richard Nixon was cruising to a landslide victory. I mean, I, I, I'm not suggesting there's ever a reason to want to gain information, but these guys didn't need to do this. I mean, Nixon had McGovern dead to rights. There was no way that was going to work. With Hubert Humphrey in 68, it was slightly different, but there was no way George McGovern was going to knock over Richard Nixon. And yet, when this happened, two former White House aides were also implicated after the break-in. The Nixon administration denied any involvement, and that's when Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward of the Washington Post discovered that there was way more to it than just these low-level operatives, all the president's men and all that sort of thing. By May of 1973, the Senate Select Committee on Presidential Campaign Activities began televised proceedings of the rapidly escalating Watergate affair. Remember Sam Irvin, North Carolina, kind of running the whole show. Archibald Cox was sworn in as a special Watergate prosecutor. He was a professor of law at Harvard at the time. Former White House legal counsel John Dean testified that, quite frankly, it was John Mitchell, former attorney general, with the knowledge of John Ehrlichman, H.R. Haldeman. I mean, we all knew who these guys were, by the way. I, re I was in sixth grade when all this happened. And it's amazing to me how many of us knew what was going on and we knew who the major players are. How was it that we knew not only who was involved in this, but we knew what their actual roles were in this? Now, think about that for a moment. Kind of a mini analysis, balance, and clarity segment. If the same type of thing were happening now, if you looked, if you were to ask the average sixth grader in America, what's going on with Donald Trump? Why did the FBI get that note from the special federal judge, <clears throat> who certainly doesn't have an axe to grind against Donald Trump, and they would toss the Miralago estate? Uh, you know, leftists are jumping up and down. Oh, this is great. We're going to got him now. We got him now. And of course, conservatives are saying this is an outrage. As a matter of fact, tomorrow we'll be recording the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Guess what our topic is? And you'll get a lot of passion on this from Bob and John, for sure. And then Neil and I will come in and try to be the calm voice of reason. And, you know, and that's what makes the conversation so interesting. So tune in. <clears throat> we recorded at 7.30 a.m. Pacific, 8.30 Mountain. You get to hear the whole thing, by the way, for our Denver audience that's listening right now uh, to KLDC. You can flip over to uh, John Rush's program on KLZ AM 560 right after the bottom line ends. And the last hour of the Thursday program, I believe, they carry the entire 60-minute edition of the bottom line, or excuse me, the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. But we knew these guys. We knew John Mitchell. We knew Ehrlichman. We knew Haldeman. We knew what they were doing. We knew also that President Nixon had been aware of the cover-up. And then you saw this political espionage just coming. It was amazing. By July, the Watergate tapes, the recordings between Nixon and his staff were subpoenaed, and they were revealed during the hearings, and they delayed for three months because legally they could. Uh, instead, Nixon sent summaries of what was there. And then on October 20th, 1973, Nixon ordered Attorney General Elliot Richardson, Deputy Attorney General William uh, Ruckelshaus, to fire Archibald Cox, but both men refused. Instead, they resigned. <clears throat> then Solicitor General Robert Bork, you know Robert Bork, reluctantly complied with Nixon's request. Archibald Cox walked the plank. And a half hour later, the White House sent FBI agents to close the offices of the special prosecutor, the attorney general, and the deputy attorney general. Meanwhile, Leon Jaworski shows up 
<clears throat> he levels indictments against John Dean, against Mitchell, and literally on November 14, 1973, District Judge Gerhard Gassell ruled that Archibald Cox's firing had been illegal. They call it a dismissal. On July 30th, uh, Nixon finally released the Watergate tapes. On August 5th, the transcripts of the recording were released. Remember the missing 18 minutes. And after he released the tapes that basically incriminated him, on August the 8th, 1974, Richard Nixon went on national television and announced to the American people that he would re be resigning the very next day. And that day was today, 48 years ago. Pretty monumental day in American history. It kind of sent us on the trajectory of having a, uh, uh, a Democrat uh, take over the White House. She kind of figured that with the GOP da collateral damage of Nixon and all of his cronies going down, that Gerald Ford really didn't have a shot. But in all honesty, Gerald Ford had a pretty good shot of repeating. But uh, Jimmy Carter won. Jimmy Carter, Walter Mondale, what they call him, Fritz and Grits. And they were in for four whole years. And we had the problems with Iran and with the Ayatollah and the Shah. And we had runaway inflation. Remember the prime lending rate at 15%? People are freaking out now because it's five. But this was a huge day in American history. And you know what? Here we are 48 years later, and we have survived. In spite of the level of cruelty and evil that was going on, whether it be Watergate or, let's face it, every administration has their skeletons in the closet. And the people right now who are in panic fear because Donald Trump might have done something horrible, they're not paying attention to American history. The question is not whether or not people will do evil things. They will. The question is, how do we respond to it? And does God have his hand of providence on our nation? <clears throat> I believe he does. And I'm grateful that he does, in spite of the fact that we keep messing things up, but it takes a certain measure of faith these days to step in and stand up to the evil in the world and say, we're going to stand up for Christ. We're going to stand up on biblical values. We're going to stand up for biblical principles. It's not an easy thing to do today, especially if you're a guy. Uh, Ken Harrison is the chairman and CEO of Promise Keepers. You remember the outstanding Promise Keepers events that Bill McCartney had when he started the organization in the 1990s. As a matter of fact, this year marks the 25th anniversary of the Stand in the Gap rally at the Washington Mall. Remember that? There was the Million Man March of African-American guys, and then there was Stand in the Gap. And I don't know, in all honesty, they don't count the number of people there. They take aerial photographs of the mall, the Washington Mall there, at, to show you how big the crowd is. I don't know if they ever did get a million African-American guys there for the Million Man March, but I do know that if you compare pictures of Stand in the Gap, the Promise Keepers event, versus the Million Man March, there were easily twice as many guys at Stand in the Gap as there were Million Man March. So does that mean there were two million guys there standing up for biblical values? Maybe. 25 years later, though, Ken Harrison now running the organization, and he finds that the world has become fearful, dare I even say cowardly. And oftentimes we in the body of Christ are not living the surrendered, sold out, confident life that God's called us to live, but rather we're living just one step above the cowardice. He's written a new book about this phenomenon. It's called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. Live a life without waste, regret, or anything unfinished. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Ken Harrison joins me on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues.
By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client come in this morning, and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. I said, you've got an account right now that's one-dimensional. It's paying you 6% for the next three years, and that's the one dimension it has. I said, 4D money has four dimensions. It'll pay you 4 to 6% a year, but has three additional dimensions. Number one, it'll provide you with long-term care benefits. Number two, it'll provide you with permanent income benefits. And number three, it'll provide you with inflation benefits, all under the heading of 4D money. So when I explain these things to people, they say, well, you know, that sounds too good to be true. I said, I know, but we have got millions and millions of dollars of clients' money in these accounts, and it's in black and white. It's true. Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. There's been a lot of talk in the culture recently about courage, what it means to be brave, what it means to stand up. And a lot of times it's user defined. It doesn't necessarily have any sort of basis in anything other than I told you to be brave or I told you you're courageous. So you are. But we're seeing more and more people in the world living in fear, uh, even living cowardly lives. So what is it that we in the body of Christ can show the world about having uh, what uh, author Ken Harrison calls a daring faith. Uh, joining me today here on the Bottom Line Show is Ken Harrison, the author of the book called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World, Live a Life Without Waste, Regret, or Anything Unfinished. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Ken Harrison, welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I love being on here, man, especially since you're in my old haunting grounds. So. There you um, go. Yeah. Well, it's great. And you are haunting our current grounds, too, in Colorado. Ken is the yeah. CEO of Waterstone, which is a foundation uh, that provides uh, to Christian ministries. He's also the chairman of Promise Keepers. And if you uh, have been ministered to by the Promise Keepers movement of the past, please know that the new Promise Keepers is uh, holding events. Uh, they're producing video. They're, they're, they're putting out the type of material that men and, uh, well, families really need to benefit from. And this book kind of seems like the the Ken Harrison approach to uh, uh, what Promise Keepers Ministry is all about. And also about the, what, what, the title is really in your face, Ken. I just, I'm going to say it, Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. What, what led you to start tackling this theme? Yeah, it's funny. Actually, HarperCollins came up with the title. I, I Really? I was, what would the title be? And they're like, you know, they came up with it. And I'm like, dude, that you guys nailed it. That is mm -hmm. the perfect title for it. Um, well, you know, I, I start off with the book talking about how, um, though I had been a Los Angeles policeman and, you know, through all the Rodney King stuff and had done all these sort of macho things, been in a lot of shootings, high speed pursuits, faced death many times, but always in a flood of adrenaline. And then one day I was uh, hit by a jet ski, I was 30 huh. years old and ended up in the emergency room. And the doctor came to me and said, uh, look, um, you've ruptured your liver. Wow. So if you've ruptured less than 40% of it, we're going to life flight you out, cut it out. It'll grow back. If it's more than 40%, you have five hours to live. Now have a nice day. Wow. wow. Oh yeah. my gosh. So I, you know, I actually said to him before he walked out, well, how will I die? He said, what do you mean, dude? You won't have a liver. I said, mm -hmm. well, okay, but what it happens to me? He goes, oh, your, your body will poison itself to death. Huh. So I laid there for an hour waiting to get the results back. Um, obviously I didn't die. Um, but um, for an hour thinking I'm going to be facing Jesus in five hours. What am I going to say? Wow. And he says, what did you do with what I gave you? And it suddenly all of my theology came to fruition and my identity became clear because facing death in a, in a, in a hail of gunfire was one thing. Yes. 
Yes. It's over before you really process and then you go have a beer and you laugh about it, right? Mm-hmm. It's a different thing when you're laying on a gurney thinking, am I poisoning myself to death? I mean, I, I have nothing to do but lay here and think. And so that really got a hold of me at 30 years old because what I was going to say to God was, well, I was a nice guy. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I was a cop and I never cheated on my wife. Basically, I was a typical American Christian. Yeah. And Jesus is going to say, okay, so who got fed because you were alive? Who got clean water because of you? Who was given the gospel? Who did you rescue from suicide? What drug addict did you rescue from? Tell me how you changed the world with all that I gave you as a, an American with privilege. And my answer was going to be nothing and nobody. And I tell you what, at that age, I thought I'm never going to be in this situation again. When I'm on a plane that's going down, if I'm ever on that gurney again, I'm going to know I can walk in with my head held high and say, Jesus, mm-hmm. give me my crowns. I earned mm-hmm. them. You promised them. Where are they? Right. I, I, I probably will be a little more humble than that. Yeah. <laughs> with that kind of confidence. Right. How can I how can I give that message to other people? Why should we be daring? What should we do? What will we get? What were all the promises that Jesus laid out for us? It's unbelievable because once you see it in scripture, you can't unsee how many times Jesus says you're going to be judged based on what you did. Mm-hmm. Not for your salvation, obviously, that comes from grace. But after salvation, he has a specific plan for us to accomplish. How do we do with that plan? Yeah. Boy, that's a powerful testimony from Ken Harrison today here on The Bottom Line. Ken is the CEO of Promise Keepers and the author of a brand new book called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. Live a life without waste, regret, or anything unfinished. We have a link for the book at thebottomlineshow.com. I'm so grateful, first of all, that you're here. I mean, that's the, I can't imagine what it's like, especially when I think of my 30-year-old self. It's like, I don't know what I would have done in a situation like that. And it must have been interesting for you to realize that God was giving you the godly confidence to be able to have this moment as opposed to the worldly arrogance that leads to cowardice so often. And, and we see that a lot, especially in the church too. There's a lot of kind of macho and bravado that you see, especially from guys, but it's really masking cowardice that really hasn't had to face what you had to face, Ken Harrison. It's funny, you know, some of the questions I've gotten on this, like, what, what do you mean cowardly world people have asked? And, and really, we don't, we live in a massively cowardly world because bullies are cowards. And when you look yeah. at Facebook and social mm-hmm. media and the name calling, it's unbelievable. You should see the letters I get. I mean, mm. people threatening my life. And, mm. you know, I was laughing. My wife was going through some of the death threats that I get. And, uh, and uh, she was like going off on them. And she said to me, aren't you worried about any of these? Cause I was laughing. And I said, baby, I mean, this is written by some guy in his underwear screaming at his mom for his meatloaf. <laughs> you know, this isn't some Navy seal who wants to hunt me down. Right. But I often ask people, what are you afraid of? Yeah. Like people will say, I'm afraid. I'm afraid well, of what? So someone's going to say something mean to you on social media. You look at what's happening out there in the world and how much God said, I'm going to allow my Christians here to live a life of good works and go out and make a difference in the world. And you're, you're going to say what to him when you get to heaven? Well, God, you know, somebody was going to put me down on Facebook, you know, yeah. so I couldn't really. I mean, we live these powerless lives because we're letting ourselves be dictated by fear. And it's, it's helpful to stop for one minute and go, fear of what? What am I afraid of? Yeah. You know, one of the things you write when you talk about in the book, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World, you have a section you talk about living out that daring faith and the importance of staying salty. And I know that you're not referring to, obviously, just being one of those crunchy old guys, you know, who just sits there in the corner and spouts off, but rather what it means to be salt and light in the world. Talk about what, what staying salty means to a, a daring faith Christian. Yeah, so um, if Jesus gave the entire salvation message in John three sixteen, which he did, if you believe you're saved, period, 
Right. Then what's all the rest of it about, right? That's really what I wanted to tackle in the book. And we get to the Sermon on the Mount, which is where that comes from. Matthew 5 through 7, where Jesus takes his 12 disciples and he gets away from the rest of the crowds. So he's only talking to his disciples then, and he's only talking to those who'd be disciples now. And he's saying, listen, you were saved by grace, by my grace. But if you want to have the full power and resurrection and joy and all those things that come with knowing me, here's the recipe. And he brings them on this, this path. And one of those is, you are supposed to be salt and light in the world. What does salt do back in those days? It killed germs. Mm -hmm. What does light do? It exposes evil. So you're to kill evil and expose evil wherever you go. And he says, and if salt loses its taste, it's not good for anything other than to be thrown out on the path and trampled on. Right. So he's saying, boy, you can be incredibly effective for my kingdom if you choose to be. And if you're not, well, then you're just worthless over here. And you're going to be judged based on which one were you with your life. Mm -hmm. You know, when I think about the salt being thrown out and trampled, I wonder how many people are saying, yeah, but I mean, that helps. I mean, it helps with the pathway. It helps with the road. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being what God wants me to be instead of saying, hey, wait a minute, that's not what the salt was intended for. That's what it gets used for on occasion, but that's not what it was intended for. And it sounds like, Ken Harrison, you're, you're calling out people who have a saving faith, but are not living i mean beyond that i mean you you talk about you know being called to more than just your salvation as a christian talk about what that means yeah let's make that real easy and clear so let's take ephesians 2 8 9 um, for by grace you're saved by faith and this is a gift of god not of yourselves lest any man should boast right so right. we're saved only by grace and even the faith that we have to believe in christ was a gift for, for us that's amen. how sick our salvation is right amen as jonathan Ed edwards said we contribute nothing to our salvation but the sin that nailed jesus to the cross the next verse, Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In wow. other words, we were saved for one purpose, to do good works. What good works? Ones that God laid down at the foundation of time for every man and woman who's placed their faith in him. Now we understand that each of us has a, a reason to live. We have an assignment on our life that we need to uncover, and we're going to be judged based on how we uncover that life. And we're going to be rewarded greatly. There's amazing the amount of rewards we see in the Bible for those who persevere and live out the life God has laid down at the foundation of time for them to accomplish. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Ken Harrison, because it, we're going to take a break here. But when we come back, I want to dig in a little bit more to the rewards for a daring faith that you just identified. Ken Harrison is the CEO of Promise Keepers. Uh, he's the author of a brand new book that has nothing but five-star ratings, I should point out, on Amazon. Uh, the book is called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. Live like live a life without waste, regret, or anything unfinished. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of our conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Great conversation today with Ken Harrison, the CEO of Promise Keepers. The book is called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World, Live a Life Without Waste, Regret, or Anything Unfinished. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We are at the midpoint of this conversation right now. That means we continue it on the other side of this break. But when we do, we will also be giving you a chance to win a copy of this book as well. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I love what Ken was saying a moment ago, and I just want to wrap up this first half of the program, first half hour, with this sentiment. The idea that we don't do anything <clears throat> toward our salvation. It is a free gift of God. God gives us the gift of faith 
to receive the gift of salvation because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Full stop. When you became a Christian, you believed that in your heart. You confessed it with your mouth. You believed that God raised him from the dead for the payment for the penalty for your sin and for my sin, too. And that's something we can all rejoice in. But then moving forward, the question is, well, how do we live? And Ken put it so perfectly. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tell us the spiritual part of what it means to be a Christian and what God did for us. But then in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, he explains that Paul writes, this is what God's intent for us, is that we are now delivered from sin, delivered from bondage, so we can live out the life that God has in store for us that he preordained for us to do. So now the question is, how are we going to live? And when we see the world growing more hostile toward our faith in Christ, we need to have what Ken Harrison calls a daring faith in a cowardly world. It's the only key to living a life without waste, without regret, or without anything left unfinished. And we've got a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I highly recommend you check it out. This is a book that theologians are enjoying and people who are new Christians are digging too. More of my conversation with Ken Harrison, the Promise Keeper CEO, on the other side of this break as The Bottom Line continues. Ken Harrison is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. Live a life without waste, regret, or anything unfinished. And that just about covers all of it. Uh, we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Ken, I appreciate the, the courage that you show in sharing here and uh, the confidence. I mean, as we talked about before, this is confidence. It's not arrogance. The world is boasting, but they're really masking their cowardice. But the confidence that we have to live boldly. Uh, you talked before the break about something that uh, some of my Lutheran friends might say, well, why are you so worried about the rewards? I mean, you know, the whole idea is preach the gospel, to, to do proper delineation between law and gospel, and that's the whole name of the game. And a lot of people are living their lives like that for the Lord right now. Talk about, you mentioned the rewards for a daring faith. Uh, let's let's go through them. You articulate them in the book, but kind of give us an overview, if you would. Yeah, um, so there's five crowns that we can get. And and I, you bring up a good point. I, I did have a couple of people say to me, well, you know, it's good enough just to get to heaven. I don't need any rewards. I'm like, really? Because Paul sure was interested in them. Paul says, I really want to get the crown of righteousness, not that I've attained it yet. And then in 2 Timothy, when he's getting ready to be beheaded, he says, I thank the Lord. I fought the good fight. I've persevered to the end. Now I know I'm going to get the crown of righteousness and not just me, but all those who yearn for his return. Right. Amen. Amen. Jesus says in Revelation 1, when he comes back and John sees the resurrected Jesus and faints because of his power, and Jesus says, don't let anybody take away your crowns. Right. So if Jesus and Paul say, make sure you earn them and keep them, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with them. Amen. And a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not an ex-cop. I don't run big organizations. I don't have a radio show or all these things. What about me? And I think it's really important to realize that we're talking about Ephesians 2.10, that God's laid out a foundation plan for each one of us. And he's given us the gifts to accomplish those plans. And it may be that the greatest thing you can do is raise godly kids. Mm. It may be that the greatest thing you can do is get involved on your school board and ask them what they're teaching our children. It may be that what you can do is be on social media and be a positive voice to encourage people to, to stand strong, right? So you, you don't have to do great things. You just have to do what God has for you, right? Amen. Yeah. The other thing is, I talk about this a lot. Hebrews chapter 11 is that the chapter on the hall of faith. It's, it's God saying, look at these people and be like them. And then you look at these people and you realize this is like the most screwed up list of people on the planet. Like <laughs> yeah. You've got Rahab, the prostitute. You've got Japheth who comes home and kills his daughter because he thinks he's pleasing God. It's unbelievable list of screwed up, jacked up people. And they all had two things in common. 
they repented and none of them ever backed down from a fight. They were people about their father's business, even though they were screwed up. And so I'd say to people, number one, don't ask, I'm not great. How can I do something? And And number two, if you've majorly screwed up your life, repent, get up, move on. God wants people of action who are about his business. Yeah. And, and, and who are created for good works. I mean, the, the, the whole sum, as we were discussing before the break of Hebrew, or not Hebrews, but Ephesians chapter two, the idea that we get, we get the priority straight, saved by grace, but for good works that God planned for us, the foundation of the world to do. And putting those two together seems like the perfect marriage in terms of living a uh, daring faith in a cowardly world. I'm talking with Ken Harrison today, the CEO of Promise Keepers and author of the brand new book called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. Live a life without waste, regret, or anything unfinished. And we have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Ken, as you are hearing from, I mentioned earlier, and not to, well, I'm, let another man praise you. So I'll talk about how great it is. You have nothing but five-star reviews for this book. Um, you're hearing from a lot of guys, you're hearing from a lot of women, I'm sure too, who are saying, wow, this is kind of a right between the eyes type of uh, blow. Some people are sending you death threats. Other people are saying, here's a praise report. What's the typical response been so far in the month or so since this book has been released? It's actually, I've had some really, I, mean, I think maybe one of the greatest compliments I got was a, a theologian of whom I have great respect um, said, I read your book wanting to disagree with it. I didn't like the idea that you were talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Right. You finished your book and I couldn't argue with any of it. Hmm. He said, it's all scripture. You don't offer any opinions. He goes, and you've completely changed my theology. Now, everywhere I open the New Testament, I see that we're going to be judged as Christians and Mm -hmm. I I can't unsee it. And he said, I thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, man, when some, when some intellectual theologian says that to you, because most of those guys just want to argue, right? You actually, you know, can convince somebody the death threats are more around my stance with promise keepers, not, not the book. Got it. Okay. Okay. Well, have, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, that's good. I mean, the people are, <laughs> I probably, I, not that it's good that you get death threats for being the CEO of promise keepers, but the fact that we're, is it, do you think it's worse for, for promise keepers now? I mean, when Bill McCartney started this 30 years ago, it was kind of a men's movement, but I want to say for the world, it was pretty easy to ignore it. I mean, you know, they, they, they have a lot of, men at their gatherings and the stand of the gap thing at the mall, but then promise keepers kind of seem to wane a little bit. And now you've taken over the helm and, and it seems like all of a sudden it's not only gaining traction, but the world has changed to the point where they would look at this and say, you're calling men to be godly men, but we're, we got to kill that thing really quick. Yeah. Satan has a plan. He's been laying down for a long, long time. And the biggest threat to his plan is, is strong men. Um, you, you know, you think about our generation where we're younger, right? Can you imagine uh, a teacher going to your 10-year-old daughter and saying, well, you, you don't feel very good about yourself. Maybe it's because you're really a boy. So maybe uh-huh. we should cut your breasts off and give uh-huh. you drugs that will harm you for the rest of your life. Nope. Can you, I mean, my father, who was an ex-cop, would have been down there with his nine millimeter, <laughs> yeah. right? And, and actually, our men aren't even doing anything about it. Like, right. oh, that's, that's a bummer. Let me, let me turn on Fox News and complain some more. Mm-hmm. So... When we get men strong, Satan knows that will destroy his plan. And he's doing a really good job weakening our men. We talked about fear, and I'm, I'm going off subject a little bit here, but on the promise keepers thing, the reason it's so much harder now is because men are obsessed with pornography and video games. They're being passive, and they don't want to be bothered. Hmm. And that's making my job hard. Some of the guys who are giving me death threats are guys who claim to be Christians. Like, wow. shut up, leave me alone. Wow. And, like I said, I mean, I, I'm not your normal Christian leader, so I would take a lot more killing than a normal guy would. <laughs> yeah. 
but you know, I mean, we got to have a daring faith in the cowardly world. I've often said to people, you know, people freak out when I say this, but I'm like, Hey, you know, if you're going to kill me, this is the kill zone right here. Just hit me. Well, I want to go right to heaven. Don't miss and pull my arm off or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, and I, and I appreciate that because you know, first of all, having had a near death experience as you did, you've been, you mentioned this in the book, the fact that you've, you've seen this now, I know in talking with people, I had open heart surgery about four years ago where they said, you know, there's a 2% chance of, you know, you're either going to have a stroke or you're not going to make it through. And so I know I've got, you know, a Steve Austin heart with a couple of funky pieces in it right now, but it does change your whole perspective when people start cowering about COVID and things like that. It's like, what, what? I mean, come on, God's God and I'm his. So what else do you have? And, and in your case, you know, when you've got these people who are quote unquote in the church complaining about this i i'm shocked but i'm not surprised is that a fair way to describe it i think that's right i, I think we need to educate people more on that but this book is meant to be an encouragement to people about yeah. stand strong you know one of the reasons why men are leaving the church is they feel like there's an unjust gospel that somehow you, you pray this magic prayer yeah. and the, the message we give from the church a lot of times unconscious unconsciously is you're a bad person but jesus loves you anyway so try not to be bad but we know you're going to be but he'll still love you. And it's like, huh? <laughs> yeah. And that, that's, that's actually about 99% true. It's just that the 1% it gets off leads you to the very wrong conclusion. And the idea is you're bad, but God has made you good. He has made you a son or daughter of him. And that's your identity. And now he said, I have a, a mission for you to accomplish. And boy, like a good father to his child, if you accomplish that mission, I will reward you based on how well you've done. And then you start to see Jesus says in Revelation 22, 12, as the Bible's ending, behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to each person according to what he has done. Mm -hmm. oh, that's as scripture is ending. He's even ending it with what you do with your salvation matters. Get busy and I will reward you greatly if you do. Amen. Amen. Uh, talking with Ken Harrison today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. Live a life without waste, regret, or anything unfinished. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Ken, got a couple minutes left in our conversation. What's, what's new with Promise Keepers? What's happening? I know you've got a busy fall lined up. It's actually shocking how, how much we've been getting out there. And it's actually really doing well internationally. So we had our virtual event. We had 1.2 million men watch that live. Wow. 2020. Yeah. In 83 countries. Phenomenal. And, um, we've been putting out specific content to specific subjects. We had one on sexual perversion um, that came out in April. We had 88,000 guys watch that live. Mm. We had up to 200,000. And there's on the app, you can get the Promise Keepers app, get into chat rooms. And it's a good app. It's not, uh, the, the usage is super high on it. Um, but you can, we have had 5,000 guys go through or get healing from pornography and perversion. Mm. Great. And we have testimonies from people saying, one I remember a guy said he was 65 years old, but addicted to porn since he was nine. Hmm. His family destroyed his kids for the first time in his life. He said he's free. He said he was just wow. ugly playing as he, as he went through this. So wow. there's real healing that we're offering. You know, you go on the app, you can get the old show programs. We have a 25 year documentary, Stand the Gap anniversary documentary coming out on October nice. 4th. We Excellent. go back to the Washington DC thing with all those men that were there talk to the speakers. It's, it's going to be excellent. And then we have a mental health show coming out virtual. It'll be announced in November, how to deal with grief, depression, suicide, how to deal with kids or a wife who's that way. So Promise Keepers has all kinds of amazing content that's really driving deep into these issues where your church may probably not get that deep into those issues for men. 
Mm -hmm. And the Promise Keepers app sounds like it's burning up, as it were. Where else do we find you online, Ken Harrison? Uh, Promisekeepers.org. And then I have my website, KenRHarrison.com. All right. Somebody we took will... Ken Harrison one, so I had to <laughs> Ken R. Harrison. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, we'll make sure that we have KenRHarrison.com and PromiseKeepers.org uh, linked up at the bottom line show.com. Uh, Ken Harrison, the time has gone by much too quickly. We're looking forward to our next visit already. But uh, before we say goodbye, a uh, reminder once again, the book is called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. Live a life without waste, regret, or anything unfinished by the CEO of Promise, Keeper, uh, Promise Keepers, Ken Harrison. And we have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Ken, thank you for the work that you're doing and uh, putting yourself on the line uh, for so many other guys to follow that example. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thanks, Roger. I appreciate it. And the book is available right now. Actually, we're giving away a copy. Teresa will be happy to take your call. A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World, Live a Life Without Waste, Regret, or Anything Unfinished by Ken Harrison, the CEO of Promise Keepers. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. There is a young man or an adult child of yours that you know needs this book. And this would make a great resource to have for them. Or, uh, guys, if you want to write it, read it yourself, you know, especially for those of us in our later years, kind of looking at the world around us and how we can be the men God wants us to be and finish strong in those final uh, laps around the track. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Here at Kbright, we are proud to recommend Stephanie and Jim Cover of Cover Law because they take such good care of their clients. I was coming home. It was like two days before Christmas, and I was sitting at the bottom of a hill, and somebody just came smashing into me. Like, they didn't even break or anything. They were coming down a steep hill. The people that hit me had no insurance, no license, no proof of anything. I had a lot going on in my life at the, at the time. I was busy at work. I was doing a lot of overtime. My husband came down with cancer. That was really a hard point in my life for my husband and I. She was by my side trying to help me through the accident and giving me personal support and telling me to keep the faith. And I was all ready like to, you know, throw in the towel. And she, she just kept me going. They're just hardworking people. They know their stuff. They're very educated. They make you feel comfortable. They stick with you all the way. I used them as attorneys. Now they're friends. And once in a while, I tease them. Do I need to get in trouble so I could retain you guys? <laughs> I'd do anything to help those guys. I highly recommend them. I mean, I haven't had need for an attorney before, and I fell into the right hands. In the event of an accident, call Cover Law right away, 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. My thanks again to Ken Harrison, the chairman and CEO of Promise Keepers, for a great conversation, a biblical exhortation of the highest order, and uh, the fantastic book that he's written. We do have a copy to give away right now. The book is called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. Live a Life Without Waste, Regret, or Anything Unfinished. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. And I love Ken's passion. I love his background. This book is selling like crazy right now. And again, for those who might be wondering, uh, I don't profit off of this <laughs> at all. I find a book that looks interesting that I think you might be interested in hearing. We reach out to the author. We have a conversation. They give us a couple of copies to share with you. That's really where it begins and ends. But this concept of Ken's testimony of being an LAPD officer, 
of literally being told his you know, liver's malfunctioning and he's got five hours as to whether or not he's going to find out whether he makes it or not. Uh, one of the things that attracted me to this project, too, is that Tony Evans, Dr. Alveda King, and Sam Rodriguez, the president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Coalition, are all endorsers of the book, and they're all regular contributors to our program. So it just it seems like it would be a, a natural, absolute natural. But being called to a daring faith may not sound like something that many of us are finding, you know, in our wheelhouse. If you're in men's ministry at all, that's John Eldridge. You know, go climb a rock and spend all this time with your son hunting and fishing and all that stuff. But look at the world around us and ask yourself the question, will a passive faith sustain you in the culture that we're in right now? I mean, it's not just on social media where people have to do the fight or flight. And it's moved from, do you like this picture of my lunch or not? <laughs> what about this? We got a new puppy. Isn't that cute? Now it's, do you support Donald Trump? And, you know, do you not? Are you a Christian and you're willing to stand for your faith or you're not? I mean, you have to make those kinds of decisions so quickly and oftentimes ill-informed. But what Ken is challenging us to do is to look at the Bema seat, look at the judgment that will befall all of us at one point. Every person who ever lived will be judged by Jesus Christ. And the question is, he's going to ask the question, what did you do with the life that you were given? The renewed, restored, redeemed life that you were given. How many of us are living the quote, quote unquote Christian life? And what we mean by that is, well, we believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross, was sent by God to pay the penalty for our sin. That God's desire is that everybody everywhere would be saved. And so that gift of salvation is for everyone. And yet, if we don't receive that gift of salvation, we're not going to have it. So what's the next logical step? Well, I want that. I want that gift. I mean, it's my buddy, Pastor Rob Warren at Lutheran Church of the Cross describes it this way. He says, it's one thing for someone to say, did you know there's a million dollars in the bank? Well, I would hope banks would have at least a million dollars. You know, if I need to go in and make a withdrawal, I want to make sure there's enough cash. Not that I'm going to take a million bucks out, but if I want 40 bucks for lunch, <laughs> I'd like to make sure that that money's actually there, right? But then Pastor Rob goes on and says, okay, well, if I told you there's a million dollars at the bank down the street, you'd probably agree with me and say, that's really cool. But if I told you there's a million dollars in an account right now with your name on it, and you're the only one who can access it, and you want to get that money for yourself, are you going to sit there and wait until the bank calls you? Oh, by the way, all you have to do is go claim it. The work's already been done. You didn't do anything for that reward. It's there for you. And our salvation works the same way. But we have to acknowledge, like Ken Harrison wisely pointed out, that we don't just come up with this on our own. We are not capable in the flesh of coming at this and saying, okay, this is what I want because I just realized all by myself I'm a sinful fallen person. No, the Holy Spirit has to give you the gift of faith to recognize that. And then once you do recognize it, you can respond to the call of salvation because the gift of faith makes it possible to enable the gift of salvation. And then what do you do? Well, we're called to more than salvation. We're called to be courageous. We're called to hate sin the way God does. We're literally called. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I call you what? I call you friends. To live like a friend of God doesn't mean, hey, since God's God and I'm me, I could do whatever I want to, and God still calls me his friend. But rather, you say, well, God extended me this opportunity. I want to show people what I value in this friendship. 
And so we live out a daring faith. We lose ourselves in him, abiding in him. John chapter 15, we stay salty. Our light never goes out. We let our light so shine before others, Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We let our light so shine before others that they would see our good works, and in doing so, they would see God's hand all over them and give glory to him. And it also means that we stay salty, as Ken writes about in the book, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. Staying salty doesn't mean you're that crunchy old guy sitting in the corner going, ah, I don't like the world. But rather, what salt meant in Jesus' day, which was it was a preservative, and it was a seasoning. It would preserve, it would actually disinfect. As a matter of fact, the old expression, rubbing salt in the wound, meant if someone had a wound that you were trying to draw the infection out of, you'd put salt around the wound, you wouldn't rub it in. It would hurt. <laughs> but when you take something that's meant to be used for good, and then you apply it in such a way that it isn't, that's where that expression comes from. But salt preserved in Jesus' day, and it also brings out the flavor, the true uh, essence of what it is you are cooking and seasoning. We're to be that in this world. That's what a daring faith in a cowardly world looks like. People are going to look at us, and they are going to know who we are and whose we are. And the question for all of us today is, are we living out that kind of faith? Or are we falling in behind, say, a political movement? And that becomes what we're known most for. Oh, so-and-so wants you to vote a certain way. Not so-and-so is a child of the king and is a friend of God. See, I like those kind of quirky people. We call them, what is it? We call them quirky and eccentric if we like them. And if we don't, they're weird. They're odd. But the quirky people who stand up because their faith is so strong. And you know that they've been washed in the blood of the lamb and they're living out that sanctification process to encourage others to come to faith as well. Not that we are going to lead these people on our own, but God through us will do the leading. It takes a daring faith in a cowardly world, and that's what Ken Harrison writes about in his book. Uh, we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. One copy to give away right now, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line Show. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, did you know that your taxes are about to go up? Oh, no, I, I know that you heard about the passing of the Inflation Reduction Act, and that means it's going to lower costs on everything, right? And it's going to lower inflation, right? Well, why did one provision in there actually mean that you probably stand to get audited by the IRS and pay more in taxes? Is that really going to happen? How do you feel about that? We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls for a few moments longer. If you'd like a copy of Ken Harrison for Promise Keepers, brand new book called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World, Live a Life Without Waste, Regret, or Anything Unfinished, we've got one copy to give away. Phone lines are filling up, but there's still room for your call if you'd like to get in on this drawing before it closes. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, the next battle, I think, for the church in particular is going to be something that uh, uh, will roll out over time. It's not going to happen immediately, but you may be experiencing it right now. Today is August the 9th. It's 48th anniversary of Richard Nixon's resigning from the White House. He resigned officially or announced his resignation on August 8th, 1974. And then by noon of August 9th, he was gone and Gerald Ford had been sworn in. 
as the 38th president of the United States. But we think about what happened there and, and how Nixon did weaponize his White House. I mean, the fact that he went after the Democrats, <clears throat> Watergate Hotel, the big break in, all that went down. And then when he was being impeached, uh, he delayed the trial, didn't uh, didn't turn over what they asked him to turn over for a good three full months. And then when he did, he fired the special prosecutor. Archibald Cox got fired uh, because Nixon didn't want to talk to him. They brought in Leon Jaworski, and then the judge ruled that uh, uh, he had fired him illegally. And uh, by July the 30th, almost a year after they requested the tapes, the infamous Watergate tapes showed up. There were 18 minutes deleted. By August the 5th, it was apparent that Richard Nixon was going to have to stand trial in the impeachment. And so by August the 8th of 1974, he resigned. Fast forward 48 years to the uh, dubiously named Inflation Reduction Act that was passed by the United States Senate. Now, remember, this started as Build Back Better, President Biden's big boondoggle. <laughs> Build Back Better, Biden's big boondoggle. Um, three trillion, three and a half trillion dollars to basically just socialize all of America. The government takes over everything, government money, which again, if the government doesn't have the money and they're operating a deficit, they print more money out of the treasury and that devalues the money that we have, which makes us weaker in the foreign markets. That's why we don't want a lot of government spending. When George W. Bush left office in January of 2009, the national debt was $10 trillion. When Bill Clinton left office eight years earlier, it was $5 trillion. When Barack Obama left office eight years after George W. Bush, it was $20 trillion. Though through some creative accounting, he was able to only make it sound like 17 were his and the rest were Donald Trump's. But Trump only, even with the recession, even with the uh, pandemic, Trump only had picked up another 5 or $6 trillion in debt. It was Biden now has pushed us up over $30 trillion and growing. 3.5 trillion in Build Back Better didn't work, so the House last fall passed a 1.75 trillion dollar bill. That didn't get anywhere, but the Senate just passed what they called the Inflation Reduction Act. The inflation that they caused, and now they're going to pump more government money into the economy, which will further inflation even more. But don't worry, we've got a way to pay for this. $750 billion in this plan, and half of it is going toward, you know, expanding the Affordable Care Act, which was never affordable. This is all a budget reconciliation, by the way. So they're just taking money the government's already planned to spend. They're going to push it around. But they're going to add 80, well, $79.6 billion to the Internal Revenue Service over the next 10 years, and half of the money is going to what they call enforcement. The claim is the 87,000 new IRS agents that they're hiring are going to go after people who are in the higher tax brackets who don't actually uh, have an issue, uh, you know, paying taxes, but they find a way to not pay them anyway. But ostensibly, it's going to wind up landing in our laps too. And I'd love to get your take on this. Do you are you encouraged by this? Do you think it's really just going to be taxed the wealthy or not? 800-227-5278. Congratulations, Michael in Long Beach. Michael picked up the copy of Ken Harrison's book, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World from the CEO of Promise Keepers. Uh, congratulations, Michael. And I hope you enjoy that resource. And thanks, everyone, for calling in. OK, KCBC audience, Rabbi Schneider's up next for you. For those who remain on the network, the phone lines are open. 800-227-5278. 
Do you think that this new Inflation Reduction Act is really just a cover for weaponizing the Internal Revenue Service to come after us ordinary taxpayers to try to shake us down for even more money to pay for their government greed? We'll dig into the nuts and bolts of the bill, and we'll take a look at what you have to say about it coming up next as the bottom line continues. Oh, yeah. One for you and 19 for me. That's right. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Now, this bill, this Inflation Reduction Act, in case you were wondering, the length of time this thing has been hanging around shows you, it shows you something about the political parties in question. Now, it is easy for Republicans to be the opposition party right now because they know that Joe Biden has a horrible approval rating, even among Democrats. Something like 66% of Democrats want Joe Biden to not run for president in 2024. And quite frankly, they'll get their wish. I mean, if he even finishes out the term. Quite frankly, this is just speculation, but if Kamala Harris had not turned out to be such a disaster as vice president, and, and the Democrats just badly played their hand. I mean, this is kind of worse than when George H.W. Bush picked Dan Quayle to be his running mate. And poor Dan Quayle couldn't do anything right. Potato, potato, you know, he couldn't, right? He just couldn't do it. Kamala Harris got the nod because she's from California, because she's biracial, and they figured that America would take a look at her big smile and say, yes, that's the woman what we want. And what they badly misplayed is the fact that Americans, A, are more than happy to vote for the right candidate, if you will, for president or vice president. I'd be willing to say that the majority of Americans right now don't give a flying leap if it's a man or a woman who's run, running the country. We should be proud of that fact. Now, the fact that the left wants you to question what it means to be a woman, that's a whole different conversation. And I don't know why they of all people would be the party that are pushing for that nonsense, but I digress. Gender confusion that people are experiencing, I have the utmost empathy and sympathy for people who are going through it. It does not change my theology or my understanding of biological science, but it does make me see, this is the great thing about being a Christian and having conservative values is you can hold both of those viewpoints at the same time. But back to the Inflation Reduction Act, the big push on this one, he needs to stroke the ego or stoke, stroke the ego of the progressives who wanted the Green New Deal. Remember the Green New Deal? Everybody has their electricity coming from the wind. Everybody's flying in boats. Everybody is, is in electric cars. And again, if you drive an electric car, that's your choice. And if you can afford it and you like it and you're okay with the economic repercussions later in terms of replacement of the car and whether or not it is uh, recyclable and reusable again, that's your decision. It's a free country. Lisa and I have six kids between the two of us, and we have a couple of electric slash hybrid drivers in the bunch. I don't love them any less. We don't love them anymore. And I'm sure that's your family story too. I hope it is anyway. But the Inflation Reduction Act was chock full of all sorts of green handouts, which in all honesty, aren't going to work. Here's the reason why. You can't take yourself and say, we have to punish ourselves and reduce our carbon emissions even more. The Paris Climate Accord does not really count until 2030 when China, the world's worst polluting country, the nation that is the grossest polluter of all, they don't have to participate per their agreement. See, this is how the left works. Everybody signed the agreement back in 2017, right? Yeah, even China signed. And what they signed was, we'll see you in 2030. That's when we, 
who have one-seventh of the world's population. That's when we, who have no environmental regulations whatsoever, that's when we, the nation who buys trash from other countries, I mean, lest we think we've got this all figured out in the U.S., we don't pollute that much as long as we ship our trash to China, which we do in many cases. Or we put it on barges and get it off of Mother Earth and put it into King Triton's playground or whatever. I mean, it's Jimmy Christmas. But there's going to be hundreds of millions of dollars going to this type of stuff. And, you know, if you look at the, 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 the was it two administrations ago, President 44 was really big on renewables and geothermal, et cetera, et cetera. And I believe there is one state. It's the only state I know that is actually making progress in that. There are two states, excuse me. Iowa and Texas are using geothermal, the wind stuff, to generate a lot of electricity. And that's good. I think Iowa gets something like 70% of its electricity from the wind. Great job, guys. Way to go. But in other states where it becomes like mandated, here's the question we have to ask. How effective are the turbines or are we using hydroelectric or other forms of electricity to generate electricity? And in the case of the turbine slash solar panel, we're finding out now, well, you know, those turbines, those big old windmill things that you see out in the deserts and across the plains and stuff, they don't recycle. There's no... Uh, recycling yard where you, you sometimes you drink a soda pop or maybe nowadays you're using shoes and stuff like that. And hey, I'm made out of 100% recycled materials. That stuff is not going to be recycled. Your electric car, hopefully someone won't mind putting a new battery in it if you sell it to them, but it's not, I mean, unless they just keep driving them, there's not a huge recycling opportunity for those cars either. So what you save in the carbon emissions is actually going to be expent somewhere else or expended. Dr. Uh, Professor David Dilley, rather, was with me yesterday to talk about global warming and CO2 emissions, and he brought up some really interesting insights. Is climate change a reality? Yes. Are they counting it properly to where it's a panic? No. Using the grid from 1850 and seeing how carbon emissions have increased over 100 years, 170 years, or however long it's been, have they gone up? Yes. Why? 90% of the carbon that is emitted into the atmosphere in the United States comes from people. <laughs> we have more CO2 in the air because we have more people on the planet. It's not man-made. Well, it's man-made in the sense that we're doing it because we have this cool little exchange in that photosynthesis and that carbon with the plants and oxygen with us. And yeah, God's okay with that. God knew that our society could handle that. But for some reason, a lot of the climate change people are working off of that grid. So they'll give them lots more money and they'll keep perpetuating that myth. But tucked into this $750 billion bill is $80 billion in funding for the Internal Revenue Service. The Internal Revenue Service is going to use that money for operations, taxpayer services. I'm reading from the bill now. Technology, develop of a direct, development of a direct e-file system, and more. Collectively, according to the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO estimated that in putting this plan into place, the entire $750 billion plan was actually going to save the United States taxpayer $350 billion. And then the deal started happening. And then John Thune showed up and then Joe Manchin got his deal and Kirsten Cinema of Arizona got hers. And all of a sudden now the savings is more like $250. $204 billion of that savings 
is going to be in projected revenue from 2022 to 2031 because the Congressional Budget Office estimates that the IRS will be able to collect more in taxes using this new system. It seems like a pretty good deal. You invest $80 billion, you get $203 billion back in revenue. What's that, about three for one? Not bad. But when you look at the sheer number of taxpayers that they're going after, it's the 0.01% of the 1% that they're going after. The people in the top percentage, 1% of taxpayers already, the quote-unquote super wealthy who make more than $400,000 a year per person, are already paying their quote-unquote fair share in taxes. That's fairly well documented. So the idea that we're going to hang them upside down and shake them until another $200 billion falls out of their pockets is somewhat, well, innocent, naive, juvenile. At some point, they're going to start coming for regular folk like us. How do you feel about the fact that the Internal Revenue Service is going to double the number of agents that they have? It's going to effectively then become the largest federal operation on the planet. As a matter of fact, it was uh, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley and former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, who posted this yesterday. When it comes to uh, what's happening here, the IRS is now going to have more staff than the Pentagon, the State Department, the FBI, and Border Patrol combined. Now, I know there's 335 million citizens and about uh, 250 million pay taxes, and they're talking about 87,000 more agents. So the chances of you and me getting audited because of this, not that great. Though the chance of me getting audited versus you, probably greater because I'm branding about it on the radio here. <laughs> Someone gets a hold of this and go, oh, where is this bottom line guy? But let's open up the phones on the other side of this break. I'd love to get your take if you have an opinion on this. Do you Are you concerned? that the IRS is becoming weaponized by the current administration to come after simple taxpayers like us because they're trying to shake down every penny they possibly can to pay for their green projects and everything else. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, that's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Do something productive with your money over the next three years. Invest in Dennis Wilson's real estate-backed 6% CD alternative. You know, with the current administration, you've got three things that you can do. You can stay in the market for the next three years and watch your account go up and down and see what happens. Option two is take your money, put it in the money market, and hold on to it, and hope that the Fed raises interest rates. Or number three, you can put your money into our exclusive 6% account. You've got your money safe and sound in a hard asset over the next three years. At the end of three years, you evaluate where you want to be. You want to try the market? You go back. You want to put it into a CD? You go back. Or you just want to reinvest for another three years at 6%. But in the interim, you have made 6% for three years instead of zero. Instead of riding the up and down elevator of the market or leaving your money in the bank earning nothing, you could earn 6% over the next three years guaranteed with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we're taking your calls for the rest of the program on whether or not you believe that the new plan... Uh, the uh, so-called uh, Inflation Reduction Act uh, is actually going to 
weaponize the Internal Revenue Service so that those 87,000 new agents will be coming after folks like us instead of the so-called super wealthy that we're being told they're going to. Uh, let's go to the phones now. Mike in Fresno, listening on KCBC. Mike, welcome to The Bottom Line. Hey, Roger. Good to hear you again. And um, set me straight on this now. They're going to tax us, the people, to take our money to make sure that we spend less by lowering inflation. Now, is that correct? Uh, you know what? That makes a lot of sense, Mike. I'm sure that's what they were thinking was if we have less money to spend, we will spend less. So then businesses will, if they try to charge more, we won't pay because we won't have the money. Or they'll just go out of business and we'll become the Soviet Union. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it has a, a very logical conclusion. But are, now, are you concerned, Mike? I mean, I and I, I, I say this and I'm asking this in all fairness. I would like to believe, I mean, if they're adding 87,000 new agents, there's over 200 million people who file taxes. The odds of one of our listeners getting audited, uh, pretty slim and none. But does it seem to you like they're actually trying to put the fear of God into certain people? Um, can I ask you a personal question? Did you file your taxes early and have you gotten a return yet? Uh, I didn't. Well, I filed for last year. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, no, that's but, what I mean. But I mean, did you have a, re a refund coming and did you get it? I did get it. Yes. Okay, good. Okay. Well, no, I'm glad to hear that because I'm hearing from a lot of people who are saying, Hey, look, man, it's August. I filed in March. I still don't have my refund yet. And the IRS's response is, well, we need more agents, this, that, and the other thing. And I thought, well, I'd be willing to wager though I'm not a gambling man that Mike, if you did owe money on your taxes, that they would be after you, they wouldn't give you five months to just kind of sit around and then say, oh, by the way, Mike, I uh, forgot that you uh, haven't paid your taxes yet. Something tells me that when you owe money, they're all over it. And I just have a hunch that people who have refunds coming are going to, depending on how the size of the refund, this gives the IRS an opportunity to have more agents, you know, doing a little fine tooth combing on our taxes. I just, and bad enough that they created the inflationary problem, but now they're doubling down with this, uh, addition with the IRS. It's that, Roger, we had a little prayer meeting today and we discussed what was going on with President Trump. And we discussed Lois, uh, remember Lois, uh, the tax lady. Lois Lerner, yeah, from the IRS. Yeah, yeah. So if you're overly conservative or Christian, that's going to be, that could be a problem. But we, we decided, hey, you know, the same thing's happening to us now that happened to the founding forefathers. That's the reason they came over here, high taxation. Yeah. Right. Too much government. And yeah. we have too much government already. Now we're going to have, uh, sounds like we're going to have Billy the Kids with guns working for the IRS. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, does, it does not bode well for us, but it's all the more reason for the church to stand firm on our biblical convictions. Mike, thanks so much for your call. Always good to hear from your brother. Amen. All right. Thanks, brother. Sure. 800-227-5278. What do you think? Uh, Mike is of the opinion that it looks like the Internal Revenue Service is... Uh, uh, you know, kind of ginning up for uh, more opportunity to take more of our money. I mean, to, to case in point, Dennis Wilson, Wilson Financial Services, uh, puts out a lot of effort into helping people reduce the amount of taxes that they owe in retirement. Um, he's not a financial planner per se, like in terms of estate planning and stuff like that, but he does give really solid advice with regard to how to uh, uh, navigate those final years of your, you know, working and then retirement and passing it on. And he calls the 401k situation right now a ticking tax time bomb for two reasons. First of all, if you have money in a 401k, 
if you leave that to your kids because of the new tax laws now, and this happened under Donald Trump's watch, um, those those are no longer exempt from taxes. You have to start taking money out of that right away and you have to start paying tax on it right away, number one. Uh, number two, with the stock market doing what it's doing, you're, you've probably lost 25% of the value of your 401k right now because it's tied into that. So if there's a penalty for taking money out of a 401k and moving it into something like uh, one of Dennis's secure programs, it, the penalty now, the uh, the pain of making the move right now could potentially be uh, much uh, less than the pain of having to deal with the tax bill once it all happens. But at the end of the day, if the Internal Revenue Service is weaponized, and I ask the question, if it is weaponized, listen to Jay Seculo's program, the Seculo Live program. It airs from 11 a.m. to noon uh, Pacific time, Monday through Friday on Kbright, our flagship affiliate here in the Southern California area and all throughout the Crawford Network. Jay Seculo was the attorney. If you'll recall, back in 2010 and 2011, there were a whole host of groups that were, remember the, the Tea Party movement, Mike just mentioned the taxation without representation. The Tea Party movement that was actually, I thought was gonna potentially become a third party here in the United States of those who were saying, hey, look, we don't like what's happening with the socialistic government. Remember the uh, federal stimulus of a trillion dollars that was signed into President 44's administration, the minute he took office and it was you know, for uh, shovel ready jobs and roads and bridges and all that stuff. And all it did was prop up pensions and pension plans for government employees. It really didn't help the economy all that much. As a matter of fact, we probably would have come out of the Great Recession a lot sooner if they hadn't put some of those quote unquote safeguards in place. Well, guys like Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, they all ran saying, you know, no taxation without representation. And there were a lot of these patriot type groups that started, uh, that were forming and they wanted to now have a presence in the midterm elections and then in the uh, 2012 uh, campaign as well. And there were a group of several hundred of these organizations, including Dr. James Dobson's family talk that were uh, implicated in this. What happened is a nonprofit group, like a family talk, for example, these are ministries. And so their IRS tax designation is 501c3. That means you can raise money as a nonprofit organization. That's just, it's not for religious groups exclusively, but that's if you're a nonprofit organization, you file your taxes under section 501c3 of the IRX tax code, which means you can bring in money, you then dispense the money based on whatever it is you're doing, what kind of work you're doing. You have to have a clear line of, of uh, you know, what your ministry path is and what you're working for. And then let's say if you have a million dollar budget and you're trying to raise money to help end childhood hunger, and then you show the receipts every year saying that you spent $950,000 on programs for school lunches for kids in lower you know, income areas and 50 grand on renting a building and paying somebody a part-time receptionist, then the IRS says, fine, that's good. You know, Money in, money out, everything's okay. There's also a distinction called the 501c4. And the 501c4 distinction for the Internal Revenue Service says that that same nonprofit organization can engage people in political activities. Now, that could be as basic as a nonprofit ministry, like one you listen to on one of these Crawford stations saying, we encourage you to vote and we have a get out the vote campaign. We're partnering with, and then you mentioned something like Election Forum or uh, iVoter.com or uh, uh, My Faith Votes, one of those organizations. And we partner with them. We raise money for them. They then have canvassers go out and ask people if they're registered to vote. And, you know, do you want to vote this way? Blah, blah, blah. That happens all the time. If you listen to a program like Family Talk or Jay Seculo or something like that, and they're talking about political things, they have a political arm 
that's part of their 501c4. And you can use up to, I believe it's up to 20% of the money that comes into your main nonprofit can be used for political uh, gain. What happened during the 2010 midterms is a number of organizations like that were applying for their 501c3 as well as their 501c4 status. The 501c3 status was granted, but the 501c4 kind of got lost in the shuffle somewhere. Oh, yeah. Remember the famous IRS office in Cincinnati? Oh, yeah. Well, we, uh, we don't know what happened. We only had one agent processing all of those claims. And uh, it just it, it took a while for all that stuff to get filed. Remember that? And then remember how that whole lie blew up? Because someone in Seculo's office did a little digging and they said, hey, wait a minute, Lois Lerner and your team. Um, we've noticed that a number of left-leaning groups, progressive groups and things of that nature were turning in their applications at the same time our groups were turning in ours. Ours waited over a year and had no response. Theirs were being approved in six weeks or less. So if they're all going to the same office and they're all being approved in the same way, why is it that ours are taking so much longer? And they said, well, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of shorthanded and, and sometimes uh, the process gets slow walked. It's still moving. We, we didn't ignore you. We're just moving very, very slowly. Remember that? Oh my goodness. Seculo went to trial and they actually found that the IRS was in contempt and sure enough, criminal charges, the IRS lost. The judge was able to prove. Now, this was not until after Barack Obama was reelected and after some of these even uh, Patriot guys like Cruz and Mike Lee were, in fact, elected to Congress and the Senate for second terms. But it was pretty obvious what the IRS was doing. And all they basically had to do was admit guilt and process the paperwork, which they did. So knowing that history that the Internal Revenue Service has, the next question is, what makes us as taxpayers think that the additional 87,000 IRS agents are not going to go gangbusters, what Mike called Billy the Kid, on us as individual citizens who don't make $400,000 plus per year and tie up our tax refunds? What do you think? 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. and so grateful to have you along for the ride here today. Uh, we've been talking about the Inflation Reduction Act. And it's interesting because when President Biden was running for office, he said, we are going to go after those tax cheats and the people who make a ton of money and they're ripping off the system. And, and if you make over $400,000 a year, uh, get ready for an audit because we're coming after you. And that number started at 400000 and then it kind of wandered into territory during the campaign Then it might be $400,000 per married couple, which would kind of put it down to 200000 And, you know, it'll be interesting to see right now since this is a budget reconciliation, that means the money's already been earmarked for something else and they're just moving money around. If they stay at 87,000 agents, if they you know, continue to step things up and maybe hire more. Now, the good news is if you're concerned that all of a sudden this isn't going to happen, for, you know, if this is gonna happen right away, uh, the IRS estimates it's gonna take a couple of years to hire the agents, to train the agents and to identify 
those who are, might be delinquent, as they would put it, in their taxes. But if you've ever walked down this road with the Internal Revenue Service before, you do know that the Internal Revenue Service has the system set up whereby they basically have their own courts. They kind of run autonomously. And if they decide that there's a problem, the onus is on you, the taxpayer, to prove that they are wrong. Now, as we saw what happened yesterday, where former President Trump at his Miralago estate, he says basically, what's the, uh, the term they use in all the movies? It was tossed, right? They, they came in looking for stuff, ostensibly because he has something for the January 6th commission that he hasn't turned over yet. And it's ironic that they would go, you know, on the anniversary of the 48th anniversary of Richard Nixon's resignation and go in trying to sniff around in Miralago to find out what Donald Trump might be hiding. But in all honesty, um, the concern for us, yeah, it's grievous offense if this was done under false pretenses. It's a reminder of two things. First of all, the Steele dossier that led to the Russian collusion hoax, even though uh, John Durham was not able to get the conviction that he was hoping for, he has plenty of evidence that that was all put together on fabricated charges. The idea that that there was even a warrant from a FISA court to get after Donald Trump for three years of looking for nothing is kind of ridiculous. The fact that they've done it again with Miralago should be concerning. But now that these IRS agents are here, trust me, they are not going to be taxing their wealthy benefactors. They're not going to be going after the people who get them elected and keep them elected. They're going to be going after more people to try to raise more revenue. That means we are in the crosshairs. The question is, what are we going to do about it? That's the bottom line.